0: Let's pray. Let's walk through that together. Let's give that to the Lord. And then we'll we'll jump into it. Father, as we come this morning, our hearts are kind of numb and sad with hearing about the shootings and just hearing about people who thought they were just going shopping for the day. Um, we could imagine if that was us and if that was our wife or husband, if that was our kids. And Lord, our heart goes out and the only thing we could ask is that You could turn that into something good for the sake of your kingdom. We ask that you would break out. We know as a country we've told you uh, to take a hike and to get out, and uh, we are reaping the whirlwind and hell in a handbasket because of it. And God, we would just stand before you and say we are so sorry, and we would ask that you would have mercy on those families who are trying to deal with this kind of unimaginable tragedy. And we stand in the gap with them. We pray for them. We don't even know them. We don't know their names, but we can pray for them. And so we seek you for that. And then we also seek you this morning, Lord. Thank you for, uh, we want to bless you for a great missions trip and that everyone came back safe. And uh, Lord, we're excited about what kids were impacted with and what they've learned and uh, getting them out of the Mill Creek bubble and getting to see the world in a larger context is uh, worth every penny. And therefore, we're excited about that. And then this morning, we see something that really grieves your heart. And uh, as we walk towards communion, Lord, we pray that you will use that to arrange our heart in a right direction as we come to communion. And we give that to you with hope and pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Lots of stuff to pray about there, huh? All right. Well, uh, I covered and then also in several messages, uh, Phil also pointed out uh, over the last couple of weeks People were going wild with what Jesus was doing, right? It's just, we're so used to stories, we go, oh, okay, he did that. And we just forget about, they were going crazy. Uh, just think through the stories real quickly. You know, you have the calming of the storm, the healing of the demoniac, people touching his clothing and being healed. The woman with a hemorrhage was an example of that. Jairus' daughter being brought back from the dead, brought back to life. That happens every day, right? Feeding of the 5,000, the healing of the Syrophoenician's daughter, uh, followed by the healing of the man who was born blind and and mostly deaf. And then the feeding of the 4,000 is kind of a follow-up exclamation point, if you will. Uh, uh, It was beyond their comprehension. They were like, wow, what is going on? And their assessment, if you read, In the text was, he has done all things well. When they looked, they went, we can't find any fault with this guy. What he is doing is spectacular. He has done all things well. By the way, just a footnote uh, on an apologetic side. uh, Those who write off Jesus as just a good man or a great moral teacher, um, they have to completely ignore or write off or discredit all of what we just covered which is an incredible leap of faith from my book. But back to the main point, the assessment was, he has done all things well. Now contrast that to what we run into with what Mark records regarding Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees. We're starting in Mark 8, starting with verse 11, and it says this, The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. So right off the bat, we can ascertain that their request for a sign was not a genuine request. Uh, And how do we know that? It tells us their main objective was to argue with them. Notice what it says there. It says, they, they came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to what? To test him. They wanted to put the screws to him, so to speak. The Greek word there that's used in this uh, is uh, perazo, which means to tempt. Uh, it doesn't quite capture the idea. The idea, if, if you put it that in English, is this would be the idea of getting someone to stumble or fall. Right? If you tempt somebody that you trip them up, that's that idea. Uh, they were interested uh, in contentiously battering into mistakes or traps. They were not interested in trying to understand Jesus or even find any kind of God-given middle. They, they wanted to trip him up. Uh, and you can feel that in the dialogues of the New Testament. If you go, for example, to the Gospel of John and read from just like six, chapter 6, chapter 9, really contentious chapters where it's a back-and-forth uh, give-and-take and it's kind of a hostile exchange. In the current vernacular, we would say they were trying to impeach Jesus, right? One giggle out there, that's good. I thought that was darn clever, come on. Man, I only come up with a few. You've got to laugh at the ones I come up with. Here we go, all right. Remember Satan tempting Jesus in the wilderness? Remember how that went? Well, he wasn't done yet. He, Satan, was now working through the Pharisees to get Jesus disqualified. And as Phil pointed out, if he couldn't get him disqualified, he was trying to move him off target or get him off timing. He was trying to knock it or change it so that it wouldn't go the way it was supposed to go. And, and you can feel uh, the wear and tear in Jesus' voice. He's God, yes, but he's also human. And he's extremely exacerbated by what these guys keep bringing to him. How does he respond? It says that he sighs deeply. Uh, again, you can see this here. The word means, in your response, is kind of a deep grief and disappointment. Like, oh, you ever had, mom, moms, you ever had that with your kids? Oh, right? Oh, you know, just that kind of idea. He sighs deeply and he rhetorically asks the question, why does this generation seek for a sign? And I'm not, there we go. Why does this generation seek a miraculous sign? And this is one place where choice of words kind of makes it stand out more in the Greek than it actually does in the English. Uh, Jesus' miracles in the Greek are dynamis, uh, which means mighty acts. We get the word what from that? Dynamite. Right, dynamic—that kind of word, right? So, dynamis were his mighty acts or miracles. But the Pharisees, in asking for a sign from heaven, they're asking this word, semion. And I hope I'm saying that right. But it's an outward proof, uh, outward compelling proof of divine authority. Uh, what's the difference, you might ask? Here's—we wouldn't maybe catch it, but here's kind of how we would understand it if we were talking to each other in English. In essence, they're saying, okay, we you see what you've done. When are you going to do something that really shows you're from God? In other words, idea, <clears throat> wipe the table clean, none of that counts. We don't care. It just It's off the table. When are, you, when are you going to really do something? It's kind of put up or shut up, Jesus. And they're really taking it to him. Basically, the idea is, you know what? Those are the peasants that you've done that for. We are the Pharisees. We're the teachers. We'll decide if you're legitimate or not. So when you're going to do something that we can decide. And Jesus says this. He says no sign will be given. He just goes boom. He just doesn't interact with it at all. Nope. Not doing it. Uh, In... um, Matthew and Luke, they add the statement that we're familiar with. You're probably wondering where it is. It's found here in Matthew and Luke. No sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. Right? What was the sign of Jonah? Jonah was swallowed up uh, three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. And so uh, Jesus said, no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. What he was saying is, I am the Jonah. I'm going to be swallowed up by the earth for three days and then I will come back. And so in essence, what Jesus is doing here. It's saying the sign that they were looking for would be the sign that they'd miss. Jesus' death and resurrection from the dead. And and to end the argument, Jesus just gets in the boat. He doesn't even keep going. On. He just gets in the boat and they sail off. Now, where are they sailing off to? Well, it says they're going to the other side of the lake. He's on... The Jewish side of the lake, the western side of the lake. They're going over to the eastern side, which is the Decapolis. Remember the Decapolis that we ran into that early with the demoniac when he healed the demoniac. And what this is saying, in essence, for Jesus is, it's it's easier for him. Uh, He gets a better response from the pagans than he does from his own people. So he's going over to the pagan side of the lake because he doesn't get as much heat over there. Not a very good commentary on the Pharisees. Uh, other accounts tell us that Jesus was deeply troubled in his spirit over these kind of encounters. He was grieved. He couldn't believe they were that hard-hearted. They're like seriously. And this leads us right into our next session uh, section and then sets us up for sharing together in communion with right hearts today, right? Carrying it on further, Mark eight fourteen. So they're kind of in a rush. They book. Jesus doesn't really give them. He says, hey, we're leaving. In the boat they go and they sail off. And in the process it says they had forgotten to bring bread. And they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, Jesus sailing along in the Sea of Galilee, he's trying to underscore for them what just happened. Okay? He's trying to highlight the interaction between him and the Pharisees. And so he's telling his disciples, watch out for what they do. Watch out for what they bring. Watch out for their rhetoric. Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. And you're going, well, wait a minute, where would Herod pop up? Like, he wasn't in this whole dialogue. We haven't even seen him. How in the world did he get into this as well? Well, he got into it. We've got to remember uh, that Herod was seeking an audience with Jesus Hoping to see him perform a sign as well. And remember, if you go back earlier, uh, Herod is still suffering from a guilty conscience. Why is he suffering from a guilty conscience? Because he, what? Beheaded John the Baptist right? So he's guilty of his death. He feels that. And if you remember earlier, Mark, when they were throwing out the options, who Jesus was, they said, he's Elijah, he's all these things. And someone said, he's uh, John, come back from the dead. That's the one Herod bought. And so Herod is kind of off kilter here going, I can't get rid of this guy, right? He's, he's, he's a little worried. And yet at the same time, he's absolutely intrigued. And so he's seeking an audience with Jesus as well. And so Herod's keenly interested in Jesus, keenly interested in meeting him. And so Jesus throws Herod and the Pharisees into the same bucket because they have the same spirit. So that's what we're going to look at right now. So in all the chaos of the event with the Pharisees, and because of the quick exit, the disciples apparently, for lack of planning, or probably more so for just plain lack of opportunity, um, forgot to bring along enough bread to eat. It says in the text here that they had one loaf. Now many commentators take this to be a symbolic, uh, this one loaf was symbolic for Jesus himself, right? They didn't have other bread, they had one loaf, that one loaf being Jesus. And it, it makes for a nice symmetry if you think about it. And what's the point? He, Jesus, is enough. If you have Jesus, you have all you need. You don't need more because you have the one loaf, and that one loaf can be multiplied. Not to be too hard on them, but the disciples probably, like us, missed the point entirely, right? And they begin to discuss what was the discussion. Here's the discussion: they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. They're looking at each other, going, oh, "What are we? They're guys. What are we going to eat?" Right? They've forgotten all the previous stuff, and they're just looking, going, one bread? Okay, how, how much are we going to all get? We chop it up. And they're looking, and Jesus responds. He's, he's incredulous. He's like, you're actually having this discussion? Watch watch Jesus' response here. They're talking, and Jesus says, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? Don't you remember? I mean, think through your own life. Now, we can get on the disciples, but just stop for a second. Let's play fair ball here. How many times could the Lord come back to you and say, Don't you remember what I taught you? Right? Oh, Lord, that was three minutes ago. I, you know? That's a long stretch. Hmm. Right? But as I'm sure the Lord, because he has for me, don't you remember what I told And right, he taught it maybe five or ten years ago, but he actually expects us to keep remembering that. And he looks at these guys and goes, don't you remember what just happened? And he goes through it. He says, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said 12. Duh, one for each of them sitting in the boat, right? And he said to them, and the seven for the four thousand. How many basketful of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he looked at him and goes, Don't you understand? Right? He's like, Good grief. I get it if the Pharisees don't get it. My own disciples aren't getting it. Like, can you imagine? So what Jesus is talking about here, what he's trying to get them is he's trying to warn them about the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. Uh, so let's talk about leaven for a second. So uh, in my world, in my uh, experience of life, leaven is one of the greatest things on earth. Because okay? I grew up in the Midwest and my grandmother, one of my all-time favorite memories, is as a kid walking into my grandmother's house, smelling her baking bread. I don't know if any of you had the same grandmother, but they had fresh churned butter and they had, she had raspberry or strawberry jam and I would walk into that house and I would smell that bread and grandma would say, would you like a piece, right? And slice it and like, I can rem- I'm can, i drooling right now, I can remember that taste. It was so good. We'd eat the whole loaf, right? i am just, whoa, right? I mean, it was incredible. So in my book, Leaven's awesome, right? But if you, you go through the scriptures, uh, yeast or leaven, this product that we're talking about here, is almost always a symbol of evil. And my commentary, the Expositor's Bible, kind of points out that <clears throat> it only takes a very small amount of it, yeast uh, or evil, to infiltrate the whole loaf. If you watch somebody baking bread, right, they're rolling, kneading, and then they'll put that yeast in there and knead it some more. Then what do they do? They just set it in the pan. And that yeast works through the loaf and then that loaf rises and not only fills the pan, but usually fills above the pan. Right? That's how you get the unique shape of bread, is the yeast leavens the dough and makes it rise. And, uh, and so what the commentator was trying to point out is that evil has this penetrating power like yeast that it doesn't take a lot of evil to infiltrate the whole loaf i.e. the idea there is it doesn't take a lot of sin to wreck your life. Just a little bit of sin can really wipe your life out. And so Jesus is saying, don't let sin leaven your loaf, okay, your life. Jesus is warning them not to let, in this specific case, don't let it take over. I, the idea here is that sin has very small beginnings, but it has really huge consequences. And here's what most of us do. We sin, why? Because we believe we can control the consequences. Have you ever had the yeast of sin and you thought it was a little thing and the next thing you knew it blew completely out of control? No, that was other churches. Okay, but, right? Yeah, we've had that. So Jesus is warning here. And so the question then comes, what was the leaven? What was this leaven that Jesus was talking about with the Pharisees and with Herod? And I want to suggest it was the attitude of their heart. Proud, arrogant, self-righteous, right? They were far more righteous in their own eyes than Jesus ever dreamed of being. Hard-hearted, unbelieving, contentious. They were nasty. They fought dirty, right? They, they go after it. Unforgiving. Claiming to have a form of godliness, but not denying the power thereof is... Scripture would say. And Jesus, as Jesus said, this is a people that honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And what does that mean? That means they put on a cloak of respectability. They put on a cloak of faith, a cloak of religion. Hi, I'm a holy person, but inside it's just full of decay and dead worms, right? Their heart's evil. They haven't let God change their heart. They were hoping the appearance was enough. And so... Jesus is talking about this approach in a response. And when we think of this warning and apply it to ourselves, the question might, that might be a good one to ask before we come to communion this morning is this. What leaven have we allowed into our lives? All right, so we're talking about leaven. What leaven, what sin, what evil have we allowed into our lives? We know what they did. Remember the seder. Remember when uh, Phil uh, led us through the seder, and we were talking about uh, before the seder began, uh, when it when it came to Passover, that all the leaven in the house had to be removed. I remember the the wife was given this big feather, and she had to. It was symbolically used to sweep through the cupboards, right, to make sure there was no leaven there. Because if there was leaven in the cupboards, it would contaminate or infiltrate whatever was put into the cupboard. And so all 11 had to be swept out. When we come to communion this morning, that same word picture applies to us. If you remember 1 Corinthians 11, when Paul is talking about communion, if you haven't, just go to 1 Corinthians 11, you can read about it. But in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is talking about this idea, and he says that we should examine ourselves before we come to communion. It's that very same word picture of Passover and checking the cupboards for leaven. Paul's saying, check your cupboards for leaven. Check your cupboards for sin. Before you come to communion, examine your heart. Take a look. How did yesterday go? How did this week go? How's the last month been since we last had communion? And is there any leaven in the cupboards? Is there anything you've held on to that is sinful, that you know the Lord wouldn't want you to have. Let me take that one step further here. In Hebrews, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we all know that part, right? But then watch the rest of it. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. I know we've been trying to emphasize keep our eyes on Jesus, right? Right? Keep our eyes on Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm going to ask those who are going to help us with communion this morning, could you uh, begin to distribute communion? And we'll, we'll keep on talking here. If you notice that phrase there, it says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Other translations... Say, the sin that ensnares or the sin that tang- entangles. Uh, in the Northwest, we get that one because if you've ever run into blackberry bushes, right? The harder you jerk, the more entangled you get, right? That's the picture for sin right there. That's, that's what it looks like, right? Um, the thought we're working with this morning is we could change that phrase to say, to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily leavens. right? In other words, the sin takes us and pulls us away from the kingdom and heads us back to the world. What was the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod? It was their desire to see a sign. Jesus wasn't enough for them. They wanted to see evidence. The fact that they were missing was that Jesus was the sign. He was the evidence. They weren't going to get any sign because he was the sign. They were looking right at it and walked right by it. They didn't need more. He was right in front of them. And Jesus knew that if they didn't buy him, it didn't matter what sign he came up with. They were going to do the same thing with the sign they'd done with everything else and what they were going to do to him is just discount it and dismiss him. So what could the Pharisees and Herod have in common that Jesus warned the disciples to watch out for their leaven? And I think the answer is an interesting one. It was Rome. Rome. Did you expect that answer? I didn't when I was looking it up. The more I looked at it, the more sense it made to me. It was Rome. Think about it. If you're Herod, Rome it has allowed you to be king. Rome set Herod in his kingship. Herod was king because Rome said he was king. Uh, he was an illegitimate one, but he was legit because of Rome. And so Herod had to uh, be deferential towards Rome. Uh, Rome also allowed the Pharisees to keep their place to keep their religion going to keep their status to keep their place. The reason they could still do all that stuff is because Rome granted that to them. Jesus was an interruption to both those agendas their and also we might add their control right and so they're they're worried about that. James reminds us. Of this kind of leaven, when he leads us with the question in James chapter 4, he says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or hostility with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. They didn't need what Jesus was bringing them because they were self-righteous. Their leaven, their love for the world, kept them from seeing their sin. Hebrews, in another place, backs up this exhortation, uh, Look here in Hebrews three. It says, "Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God." But exhort one another. You know, if you think about it, what do we when we do this thing called church? What is that all about? Well, church is about exhorting each other, right? We do it in an official way, like. On Sunday mornings, I'm in the pulpit. I exhort us to follow in the faith. But that's what we do when we're in community groups, right? We get together. We were at the Kadamas last night and had uh, Japanese ramen noodles. Awesome. What a great time. And uh, you guys won't like it. It was terrible. Never go there. You can invite us again. It was good. Uh, But they were talking about how wonderful their community group was and how their community group helped them and helped them stay on track. And I'm going... Wow. That's so you don't even know. You're talking about the sermon. This is awesome. okay? But the idea of we exhort each other. What? Stay with it. Hang in there. Keep your faith. No, don't fall away. Let go of that. That's junk. It's going to kill you. right? We exhort each other uh, to stay true in the faith. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened or leavened by the deceitfulness of sin. Have you ever been deceived by sin? Satan never wags something in front of your nose and said, ooh, you need this, yum, yum. And then chomp. And as soon as you chomp, what happens? The wages of sin is death, right? We've been baited. We've been trapped. We've been deceived. And it says here that we not be hardened, or I would insert the word leaven there, by the deceitfulness of sin. For we've come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to the original confidence, firm to the end, as is said... Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now, here's the interesting thing about leaven. We've said it, but just to re-underline it, it doesn't take much to leaven a whole loaf of bread. If you've ever watched Bakers, or I've watched my grandma, it's just a little pinch, they put it in the loaf, and then they let it set, and it does its work. Same way as sin. Likewise, it doesn't take much of the world to deceive us and harden our hearts towards Christ. The world says you don't need Jesus. He's not important anymore. We're way past him. The stuff we've got on the internet, the stuff we've got on TV, the stuff we it's way better than Jesus. Come, let us entertain you. You don't need what he's offering. And what scripture says is unfortunately, we can easily be swayed by the deceitfulness of sin. The big question this morning is Jesus enough? And because yesterday I had to go to the family matter. I I had a song picked out. It's by Cutlass, and it says, If I lost it all, would my hand stay lifted? And the the context of that song is, Where's my anchor point? Is my anchor point in Jesus? Is Jesus enough? Or do I have to have Jesus plus some stuff? You know, do I have to leaven the relationship with some things from the world, you know, to spice it up a little bit. M- make it more interesting, more more compelling, because just Jesus? Well, that's a hard sell, Mitch. If all your stuff was taken away from you, would Jesus be enough? By the way, we're not singing that song this morning. We'll come back to it when Esther's back. We'll, we'll, we'll sing it. But this morning... Uh, We'll sing, great is thy faithfulness. But if your stuff was all taken away, don't lose the point, would Jesus still be enough? Is Jesus the source of your righteousness or are you self-righteous? Is it the goods you bring to the table or the goods he brings to the table? And when we come to communion, part of the process is to examine our hearts, to sweep out the leaven, the sin, so to speak, and make room for Jesus. And so this morning I want to do that. I want to give us a chance to do that because that's exactly what Scripture exhorts us to do. Scripture doesn't say, hey, just take communion and then go, yeah, by the way, it wasn't very good, and I kind of performed pretty crappy and I didn't obey God really much, but I took communion, so it's all good. This is no 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 wait, no, bo, no. stop, halt, keep time out, back up. Right? Get us all put in adult timeouts here. All right? Just back up. Stop. Before you come to communion, examine yourselves. And so let's do that this morning. As a group of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, let's examine ourselves and let's let the Holy Spirit speak. Is there any leaven in your cupboard? Is there anything that's supposed to get swept out before we come to communion? So let's do that. You may close your eyes if that's helpful and uh, you're that kind of person. If you're an open processor and you've got to keep your eyes open, that's okay too. However, it works best for you. But let's stop for a minute. I'm going to give us a couple minutes And let's go before the Lord and not just, how is it? Okay, good, good, I'm fine. Stop. How was this week? Where was your heart? Where were your thoughts? Which ones were for the Lord? Which ones weren't? Let the Holy Spirit process through with you. Let's let Him help make our hearts right as we come to communion today. All right? Take some time. Spend it with Him. Ask if there's any leaven. Thank you, Lord. We're not used to silence most of the time. We usually try to fill it with some kind of noise. Thanks for your presence. Thanks for sweeping the cupboards. We're grateful. And Jesus had in that last supper, which was unleavened bread, right? said, this is going to be a symbol for you of what I've done. He said, I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to pay the bill you can't pay. I'm going to pay the price you can't afford. I'm going to, take what should have been your punishment, I'm going to take it on myself. Because I love you. And I want you to be with me. He says, whenever you take communion, remember that. Remember what Jesus said, to the, don't you remember? He's saying, this, don't you remember? Remember what I did for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The cup is a double-edged picture. One is of wine, which Jesus says, I will not share again until I come back. But the other one is blood. Because of his shed blood, we can now be cleansed. And that's kind of a strange picture because we're not farming community anymore. We don't get that. But basically the picture is when Jesus died for us and his blood was shed, when we come under his protection, under that spilled blood, then God no longer sees us. He sees his son. He sees his son's righteousness on us. He still sees us. He knows who we are. But he sees Jesus righteousness not that we're righteous, but we're righteous because Jesus is righteous. And he said, remember, don't forget. You're good. You're cleaned up. You're washed because of what I did for you, not because of something you did. Jesus says, drink this in memory of me. I just want to remind us that Jesus is his own reward. And people say, what? Jesus is his own reward. When you, if you've got Jesus, you've got everything. You don't need other stuff. If you've got him, he's enough. And therefore, if Jesus is, our, is his own reward, then you have to make the following. Jesus is his own reward and Jesus is our reward. That that's the primary thing we're supposed to keep our eyes on and we're supposed to keep watching for leaven as it cries to come in and take Jesus off his spot, away from the central place that he's supposed to have in our heart. We're going to sing a song that you all know really well. But continue to let God sweep out the leaven. Let him clear the deck, so to speak. Keep our eyes on him. Would you stand and let's worship together.